as Bill said, there's been something that's been on my heart for, for quite a few months and uh, that kind of went in with this loving everybody. So the last few weeks we've talked about basically our relationship with God, how we look at him. He's the only one that we should look at. And then is he just an ordinary God or do we consider him a very extraordinary God? When we're created, when God knits us together in, in the womb, we're not just created with one space. We're created with two spaces that are kind of fused together. There's a God space, but there's a people space. And so people, a lot of times, will try to fill one space and get some temporary satisfaction with life, and other people will fill the other space. So the God space, I think most of us all, all would recognize that people will substitute other things to worship, whether it's other false gods or whether it's things in their own life, their family, their work, something like that. They try to make that their God, and they get some temporary satisfaction with that. But most of us know that that temporary satisfaction fades because it's not the one who created them. Not, you know, these false gods aren't the ones that put the space there to begin with. But the people space, sometimes we forget about the people space. But people will fill that space and get temporary satisfaction with life as well. By doing things for other people, the works that we try to do to make ourselves feel better. When we try to help the less fortunate. A little story, I love stories, is when, when I was... I don't know, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I was short, dumpy, and uncoordinated. And I was the one that was picked on. I was the one that people, the, the basketball team would put in the headlock and they would, you know, I was the one with the nickname. Nobody else had a nickname, so they gave me a nickname. And, and I hated it, but at the same time, I just wanted to be a part of that cool crowd. So fast forward, so we, we moved when I, from my freshman to sophomore year to another school. My dad took another church in another place. And I grew six inches, and I got coordination. And all of a sudden, now I'm part of that. So I go, we go back to that same school, and we get to play him in basketball, and they're like, they're like treating me totally different. Well, that made the, so now. So when we, when I would go to the playground or pick up games of basketball, I would pick those little people to be on my team, even, even though I would know I would lose. And so it made me feel good. I was doing it just to make myself feel good. And when, we, when people go out and they, and they feed the poor, and they, 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 they get some temporary satisfaction from that. But that, too, is only for a little while. So when, because God created that people space, and proper service to people begins with the proper understanding of who God is. And so that's what Bill talked about for the last three Sundays. Today we're going to talk about the people space. One other thing about this people space, and I'm not going to pick on the millennial generation like everybody else does, but I hire a lot of them at work where I work. And if you've noticed with companies, there's been a big push for like getting back out and doing community service. And that is because this, the generation that's in the workforce now is trying to fill that, fill that people space more so than a lot of other generations in the past. If there's a cause... That generation loves to get on that board because it's a cause and it gives them that satisfaction that they're doing something purposeful with life. Last point on this before we pray. Christians, we got to watch out this too. We will spend a lot of time sometimes on the God space and forego the people space, and then we also live lives that aren't full and satisfied. John MacArthur has a great quote. It says, a close proximity to God can be found in service to other people. So they go together. And so we as Christians who love God also sometimes get this messed up too. We forget that we can't love God without loving other people. And as uh, E in love says, love them even more. 
So let's pray, and uh, then we're going to look at some uh, look at some things from Scripture. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for all of us who, who you saw fit to bring us here this morning. We pray for those who couldn't make it for whatever reason. Help uh, if they're sick. Help them feel better. If they're having a difficult time, give them, give them some peace. And as we study your word, Lord, we just ask that you draw us closer to you. Help us to see you better so that we can see other people better. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the focal passage this morning is John 13, 1 through 17. After we look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we're going to look at kind of service to others in terms of the five physical senses that God created us with, our seeing, our hearing, and the five senses. But we're going to kind of look at it from a spiritual sense, just to give some practicality. This is a very practical study about loving other people. So it's not going to be probably a lot of things that you haven't thought about. We're just kind of going to put them together in the light of humility. Because proper service to others is first, like I said, an understanding of who we are with Christ and what Christ has done. And so the best model, I believe, in Scripture on humility is what Jesus did here in, the, in John chapter 13 when he, when he washed the disciples' feet. So let's read the whole passage. There's some of it up there on the slide. I don't know what page it is in your NIV books that you have. But I brought my NIV so that we could read it out of the same translation. Uh, 13 said, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in, under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you are, though not every one of you, for he knew who he was going to portray him and that was going, and that was why he had said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He, said, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15 says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, let's, uh, let's, set, the t let's uh, set the scene here. So it's, the Middle East then was like the Middle East now in terms of it's a really dusty environment. They didn't have roads, they didn't have concrete, and so they, they wore sandals, in case you didn't know that, and their feet got dirty. And so it was customary that when you went into somebody's home, there was a servant or somebody who would wash their feet, their nasty feet, before they would come into the house and sit down. So keep in mind where this time frame is. This is right after they came in 
and Jesus was on the donkey, and they're singing, Hosanna, glory to the God. I mean, the king is here. That's just happened this previous Sunday before this Passover meal. And so Jesus is with the disciples, and it's probably just with the disciples, since there's no servant there to wash their feet when they come in the room. So they come in the room, and they pass this basin of water that's always in there, and they all walk by it, and they sit down at the table. And then Jesus gets up, goes back to the washing basin, brings it with him, and starts washing their feet. And I want you to keep in mind, this is an important part of of what we're going to talk about today, and we start loving other people. Judas Iscariot has not been dismissed from this room yet, the one who's going to betray Jesus. And that was something, you know, when you study, and I, I will kind of echo what Bill said, it's a good idea to volunteer to teach, bring a sermon like this. It was a small group, asked for one night. Um, March is next month, and so that's a fifth Sunday, so it means we're going to go to the Highland Home, bring that. When you do those things, when you volunteer, you will find out new stuff in Scripture that you didn't even know was there. Even an old person like me who's been a Christian since I was eight, I never considered the fact that Jesus actually washed the one who was going to betray him. He washed his feet then and there. That just blew me away this week when I actually considered that. Would we love somebody who we knew was about to betray us? So that's the scene, and that's what happened. And so what did the disciples do? Well, they were first embarrassed. How could somebody who was their king... I'm sorry, who was their Lord? Let me get my pages right here so I don't get out of turn here. How could somebody who was their Lord and their master lower themselves to basically a servant or a slave, if you will, and wash their feet? So they were embarrassed. Maybe they were embarrassed that they didn't go and they washed their own master's feet. Why didn't they think that? They, they just didn't even consider. It was always done by, it was menial tasks, so they didn't even consider they could step out of their comfort zone and go do something else. Jesus did that, and so they were embarrassed. Uh, why are you washing my feet? And then Simon Peter, who always seems to jump in with a conversation here, just like some of us do probably, he's like, you're not washing. He rebukes his master, his Lord, for what he is doing. The, the, Jesus makes a very important uh, point here. The Jews typically, well, they would bathe once a day, but they would wash their feet many, many, many times during the day as they went to different houses. So what Jesus is saying here is to Peter, he's like, you're already clean. You're already a believer. That's to let you know that actually Judas Iscariot was not a believer because Jesus says some of, one of you, I don't know if he said one or something, he said one, I believe, one of you is not clean. So Jesus is not saying that you have to take a bath every single day. You don't have to be saved over and over again. Once you're a believer, you are a believer. But what he is saying is you still need to get rid of the filth in your life. The filth causes us a a division between ourselves and God, and it prohibits us from serving other people like we should be serving them. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm getting back to the love everyone, trust me. But we need to understand what Jesus, how he lowered himself and and, and did a humble service. And so he's teaching them, and so Peter rebukes him, and then he says, wash all of me, and Jesus says, says, you don't have to be washed every single day, but you do need to get the filth off your feet. And then he says at the very end, um, talks about, joy. And so this, this love song from Nat King Cole that Bill picked, it's just like, it just makes you just happy and to hear. Um, it's just an upbeat kind of thing. If you want to find joy in your life, Jesus is saying, do what I'm doing. Sorry. It's joy in serving other people. It's, it's serving other people with the humility that Christ just did for the disciples that brings us true joy. 
And so, when we love other people, we need to make sure that we're loving them to understand that that is how they are eventually going to love others because that's how they're going to find meaning in their life. And we're going to talk about meaning in life quite a bit today. So we have the perfect example. And if you follow that perfect example of humility, lowering yourself to serve other people, Jesus didn't have to do that. That's the model to serve other people and love even more. All right, so let's get into the first the first uh, of the five senses. Uh, again, we're going to look at this kind of in a, in a spiritual sense. And this is seeing. So uh, I think you've got John 3.16. We're going to spend most of our time on seeing as opposed to the other, other five senses because that's what most people see uh, the way we live. What do they see us do? How do they see us act? And John 3.16 says for God's... So we're going to look at how God sees and then we're going to look at see how, how we should see. And we're going to follow that same thing through all the five senses. God sees, for God's love the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, I'm trying to stick to the NIV here, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it's going to be hard not to go into some the, theological discussions here when we start talking about this seeing. But before, before the world even began, there was a plan to, for Jesus Christ to come and humble himself to the cross so that those that he created could find their way back to God. So God could call them and bring them to salvation. That is, that is how God sees his creation. He sees his creation by needing a Savior, by needing his Son. And so if we, if we look at that whole passage, it'll help us understand how we should see, uh, we should help try to help others see. So I'm going to read the whole kind of passage here, because I think it's important to keep the whole thing in, in context. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the God's name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light, comes, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, but will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. And in verse 21, this is, helps you get to see part of the senses. But whoever lives by the truth in the light, excuse me, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We are to lift up Christ, pretty simple, so that other people could see him. So the story in the Old Testament, just as a background to this, Jesus is having a very practical conversation with, with one of the Pharisees called Nicodemus. Nicodemus wants to know how to be saved. And so Jesus is, is giving him the, uh, an understanding of what it means. The children of Israel complained. They were upset. Even though God had delivered them out of Egypt and taken care of them and shown miracles after miracle after miracle, they're still complaining. So God, God sends uh, snakes into the camp and they get bit. But God provides salvation for them or a way of healing. He has Moses put a, a snake on the stick and he sets it up and says, anybody who looks at this snake, anybody who looks at this snake will be healed. And why it breaks my heart and why it should break other people's heart is when we lift up Christ to other people, some people are not going to believe. 
Now, you say, well, God's sovereign, and he is, and so you, ask your, you can get yourself hung up in the theological the conflict, the arguments between predestination and free will. Why did God send snakes knowing some of them wouldn't wouldn't look up on the snake and be healed? Why did God send his son to die on the cross when some of them won't believe? I think all of us probably know people that make bad decisions, even though that they know the bad decisions are a bad decision. We probably know ourselves that there's been times in our life where we knew what the right thing to do, we knew what the best thing was, but because of our stubbornness, because of whatever reason might be, we decided we didn't want to do that. So it's very easy to understand when you see, when you live in the real world and you love people and you see people, it's easy to understand how people who understood that they were bitten by a snake were so angry at the God for sending them that snake that they wouldn't even look upon that snake because they were so mad and they were so frustrated. And, and maybe that's the reason why some people don't believe. I don't want to get into the theological thing too much, that the, the conflict between predestined and predestination and free will, there is no conflict in, stri- in Scripture. It exists in perfect harmony. But the point is, we don't know who's going to believe, and we don't know who's not going to believe. So our, our task, in a humble way, is, to, is the love that Christ has shared with us, the salvation that he has given us, the hope that he has given us in Jesus Christ, we're simply supposed to lift that, lift that up for other people to see. And let God handle them, let God handle their heart, but we have a responsibility for other people to see Jesus through us. And I want to call quick attention back to what I learned this week about Judas, Jesus loving even more than I even realized that he did that night when he watched the disciples' feet. Even though Jesus knew the one that was going to betray him was there, and the one that was going to betray him was not going to be with him in in paradise in heaven, he still humbled himself and washed his feet. So even when people are, even when it looks like somebody may be hopeless and they're like, you know, that person's never going to come to Christ, it doesn't matter. We still love them too because we just don't know. God set the example. We're supposed to follow it. Um, Not to take any. Uh, not, not to say it's easy, not to say it's easy, but it is an example for us to follow. Loving even, loving even more everyone. All right, so second, second sense, the sense of hearing. Um, if you want to turn over or look at the abbreviated up there on the screen, Romans 10, 12 through 13, I'm going to read uh, 12 and 13. It says, uh, as God hears, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses All those who call, so he hears, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are not supposed to, I don't say these things in an accusatory way or anything like that. I say this as just all of us to remember and to kind of look at ourselves. We like to hang out with people that are like us. We just kind of do. Um, Look at your circle of friends. Look at, you know, uh, who you hang out with at work, the things that you do. Most of the time, those folks are going to be like you. God is no respecter of person. He asks us, he listens to all who call, and so we need to understand that we are supposed to be lifting up Christ for everybody. And even more than, and, and to help us understand how we lift up Christ for everybody as he hears them call for him, let's read James 1, 1 19 through 21. And this is where it starts hitting really home. 
most of the verses in James, most of the study of James is a very, very hard thing for, for a lot of us to study because it's right to the point and it gets right into probably what we need to correct in our own lives. And this one says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God's desire, that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And as you live for others, that same word saves others as God's listening for those who can call upon him. Have you ever been like upset when somebody said something to you? Did you immediately like get on the defensive? Did you get to where I'm not going to have anything to do with that person anymore because they made me upset? If that, if that happens in your heart, Let's be honest with ourselves. If we have a proper relationship with Christ and we understand that this world is not really about flesh and blood, it's about spiritual battles, there should be nothing. And I'm not, I'm certainly not there, folks. And so, but there should be nothing that anybody could say, even a family member, that could put you to the point where you're offended. Nothing. Truly, if we are, if, if our relationship is right with Christ, and we are living for him, and we're humbly serving everybody who Christ puts in our path, there should be nothing that anybody can say that would offend us or even make us angry. If we're offended, I believe James is teaching here, and I'm talking to myself as well, if we're offended or if somebody, somebody does or says something to us that angers us, it's because there's filth, there's something in our life, there's something in our relationship with either other people or with God that is causing some angst, if you will, that is prohibiting us to having the right relationship as those who are serving. And that's, that gets back to that, what Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet. You don't need to take a bath every day. You don't need to be saved every day. But there's filth in our lives. We have to constantly get out. And we, we, we get that out, and we start loving other people. They can say whatever they want to to us. They can call us whatever they want to. They cannot say thank you, or they can say thank you for the wrong reasons. Whatever it might be, we accept it because we're not serving them to make ourselves feel better. We're serving them so that they can see that we love Christ and we just want them to love Christ. So God's listening for people to call and we need to have a right relationship with us so that when we serve them, we're not offended and we, uh, we can help them here and, and help them call upon Christ. Um, so we need, a, we need a spiritual ears to hear. Let's see, I got one other thing here also. When we listen to people and we minister to people, Second point is, I believe we need to make sure we're listening to serve as opposed to listening to swap war stories, if you will. I firmly believe that if you've gone through something difficult in your life, God will likely put somebody else in your life that is, gone, is going through the same thing because you can build a bond with that person because you've been there, done that. But even with that being said, when somebody is having that same experience as you are, are we first listening to tell that person our experience, or are we first listening to find out really what that person is going through? And that, that's something that you have to practice as a, as, a, as a person. Listen with the intent to humbly serve as opposed to listening with the intent to teach or preach to somebody. Um, it's just, just another side note there on listening, and people hear what we say. Okay. Taste. I don't want to. I don't want to run over long. Uh, run too long today. Let's go to taste. The third of the five senses in John four, thirteen through fourteen is God tastes. This as Jesus answered and said to her, "Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give 
will never thirst, but the water that I shall give will become, an, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into ever, everlasting life. Christ's work on the cross is just a satisfying drink. It is. It is, it's, it's an eternal satisfaction in, in, in giving us purpose. I, I thought of, a, I, like, I like the old songs. Maybe just that's what I grew up listening to. I don't know. But the theology in, these, in, in the old songs are, are, are just amazing. And I thought of the song, Blessed Assurance. This is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Yes, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And then as we live for God, it says in in Psalms, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Hope is something that people just, just they seek after. And Christ gives us, when he gives us a taste, if you will, that something's better than this life. And if and, and we we need to we need to help share that taste, if you will, to other people. And and I, I, I've got an example of, of that. Sometimes just living your life, other people will see that you have a taste of something better. Um, when I traveled to China in 1995, things weren't as open in China as they are now. So they were like, you know, whatever your religion is, guys, let's kind of keep your religion to yourself. Let's just go over there and do a good job. Let's build the plant that we're building and let's come home. So, you know, I signed those papers that I'm going to, you know, do what I'm supposed to do and everything. Same thing when you go to Saudi Arabia, you, you basically promise not to do anything. So, you know, I, fine, I'm not going to. And so all we did was we just, we just were nice. And about, about three weeks, really, and we were just nice to people. And so about three weeks into the job, we're on, you know, we would ride this bus to and from the job site, and there would be some of the Chinese people with us, and, and, and some of them speak English. And, and just out of the blue, there's two of us, and we're believers, and we talked about things. And he just, they just looked, he, he just looked, he said, both of you are Christians, right? And of course, you're like, what does this mean? You're going to grab me out of the car and like persecute me or something like that? So they asked, and we just like, yeah, she's like, well, we know, we know you Christians because you are nice people. Because you, you are, it's amazing what you can do by just smiling and putting other people in front of you as, as opposed to being so much concerned about yourself. And when you, when you function that way, when you serve people, you, they see that you have a taste for something more than just this life. Because we all, we all are going to go through difficult stuff. Um, but people, people can see, and, and, and it, is, it is part of the Christian's life is to share that hope, that taste of, of what's coming. As we love even more. All right, so the fourth one. I'm, I'm going to go right into the next one. And this has to go with uh, our sense of, of smell and the spiritual sense of smell. It says, but I, I have all... I'm sorry, Philippians 4.18. I'm not reading so well this morning. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Chapter 4 of Philippians, excuse me, 
yeah, chapter 4, Philippians, probably is somebody's favorite verses in that chapter. There are so many like one verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, um, there's, it's just a wonderful chapter. And Paul is just like praising the folks from Philippi because of their love for him. They sent him money. They sent him resources when no other church would. And Paul just says, hey, you know what? What you're doing, God smells that sacrifice, and it comes across as a sweet aroma to Christ. We don't have time this morning to go through all the examples of the Old Testament wherever the, when the children of Israel would offer, test, would offer sacrifices. Some would be discarded because it stunk, because their hearts weren't right. Some were accepted because their hearts were right. The first one, of course, is with, with uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Cain's was not accepted. Abel's was. Um, so God understands the heart, and so what we do when we, when we serve others, God recognizes whether that is of good motives or of bad motives. As far as how we should smell, it says, in, in 2 Corinthians it says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. So just like when we talked about taste, smell and taste kind of go together. Smell and taste will bring back memories sometimes that you didn't even know were going to be there. I lost my mother when I was really, really young of cancer, and I can eat a chocolate pie. Don't, please don't any of y'all try to make me one, because you'll fail. It will not taste like my mother's. <laughs> and so don't even try to, like, don't, don't try to love me and make a big chocolate pie, because you just won't. Because y'all know, uh, sometimes those things just bring back memories that, that you forgot were even there, and just boom, you're there right back there again. Smell and taste, they just, they just do that kind of thing. And so when we, when we serve others humbly, we not only do it right where God accepts our service to others with a sweet aroma, but the other people kind of see that. Just like the, the Chinese would see things when we were being nice to them, people see that you're not doing this for any other reason than you love me. Why are you doing this? They will see that when we serve right. But again... Let's, let's not forget the background passage here, the humility that has to be in place uh, when we serve. So understand Jesus actually washed dirty disciples' feet, even one that was going to betray him. So the humility of service to others has to be there. There has to be, for it to be a perfect aroma to Christ, there has to be none of us involved in that service. It just has to be, we're just the vessel of love to other people. All right. Thank you all for staying with me here. We're going to do touch last. Mark 1, 41 through 42. I did do sight first for a reason, because that's what most people see. And then the last one I chose, because this is where we actually get involved. Um, Jesus was indignant or moved by pity. Indignant's not a really good word in the way in which we describe indignant. But he was moved by compassion. He was moved by pity. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean immediately. The leprosy left him and was clean. There's a special place, I believe, for people who do similar things. I think of, I think of nurses. I think of uh, people in nursing homes, that their job in life is they go and they, they, they physically clean the people who can't clean themselves. They take care of people. And, and it's nasty. I don't know if... If y'all have had family members in nursing homes, if you've gone in there, and let's just be honest, most of the times they don't smell that good. But there are people who aren't related to these people that go in there, and yes, they get paid, but they don't get paid enough for what they do. So 
So there are examples, present-day examples, that are like what Jesus did when he went and healed lepers, when he went and healed the less fortunate. Christ himself said, I didn't come. So the people who are well don't need me. It's the people who are sick that need me. So Jesus touches the people who are dirty, the people who need a doctor. And so let's talk about what we're supposed to do. It says, for I was hungry. And this is out of Matthew 25, 35 through 30, a beautiful verse, especially in light of Jesus washing the, the disciples' feet. I was hungry and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and he invited me in. I needed clothes and he clothed me. I was sick and he looked after me. I was in prison and he came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or a person and go visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I say, whatever... Whatever you did for one of these, least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Folks, that's a tough passage. That's a very tough passage because if we choose to look at the water basin when we walk into a room, if we choose to look at those people around us, they... <coughs> I'll get myself together in just a minute. Sorry. If we choose to look at the people around us, there are plenty of people to serve. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have to open your eyes for where you are going. I can guarantee you, I promise you, I promise you this because it's happened so many times. If you'll spend a week in prayer and just say, Lord, show me people to serve, just get ready. <laughs> he's, he's going to open it up to you. And I have to also say, um, when you see people serving... Don't slow them down. Don't slow them down. And I'll um, give you an example of this. And, and Julie's home. Best not feeling that great today. But she's home preparing her sermon lecture, if you will, for a Bible study she's going to do tomorrow night. Uh, she goes 100 miles an hour. And in 2012, when, we, when the Lord blessed us with two more kids, I told her, I said, you know what, honey? I think, it's, I think you need to take, take a break. You're doing too much. Back up a little bit. I love, I love her, and I just like, you're doing too much. She was the most miserable year I think I've ever seen her because, and so I'm like, after that, I'm like, honey, just go. And so I just, I just know, I just know, and, and, the, and the kids can testify to this. There's going to be three, four times a year where she's just going to go to bed, and we're going to bring her f breakfast in bed. We're going to take care of her. She's, gonna, she's just going to rest for a week or two, but she's going to get right back up, and she's going to do it again. So... She recognizes that, that service on this earth is very important. She is a good model for all of us to follow. But uh, when, you, when, when you have a new believer or people in the church, leadership team here in the church, let's, let's be careful not to try to throttle back people's service. If there's something they need to learn, they're going to learn it while they're serving Christ. Again, a close proximity to God is often it is related to how much you're serving other people. So let people let them go. Let's not throttle back the service to other people. Um, but let's keep in mind, all of us, that those people that we need to love on, that we need to serve, you'll pass them tomorrow. You'll sit down with them at McDonald's. You'll check out at the, you'll check, you'll buy, you know, go to the grocery store, you'll buy something. There's somebody who just wants you to say, how is your day going? They're everywhere. But keep in mind, 
when you get involved in somebody's life, you might get dirty. It's going to be tough. And so if it's going to be a constant washing of your feet when you serve the people to keep that filth out of your life so that you don't get the wrong attitude while you're serving other people. And again, I'm talking about myself as much as I am anybody else in this room. Who put this up here? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> That's like permission to cry more. That's what that is. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, okay, so we're going to close. Uh, we're going to close talking about Paul. I don't. I don't think I put up uh, this last slide. Sorry, Drew. There's nothing more to click on, and I probably will need this by the time I get through describing this one. In chapter in Romans chapter nine, Paul. Well, let me just read it so that, I don't, so, that, so that I don't confuse it here. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. As confirmed by my conscience in the Holy Spirit, I have deep sorrow and unsensing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. And I'm really going to try to hold it together here, folks. But when you consider what Paul is saying here, Paul's already had a face-to-face encounter with Christ, the glorified Christ. Paul has already seen a foretaste of heaven. God has actually blessed Paul with a, with a vision of others. He's already told people. He's preached at Thessalonica. He's told them, hey, hey, we're just sleeping here, guys. Don't worry about the people who died. We're going to heaven. And, and, and with all that knowledge that Paul has, he says, I'll give all that up for eternity. I'll give up everything with Christ. If my brothers can go in my place, would you do that? Okay, you might do it for your family members. Would you do it for a whole race of people? Separate yourself from Christ for eternity so somebody else could have it in your place. Why could Paul not do that? Because it had already been done. Folks, that's what, that's what Christ did for us. He had an eternal Union with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he broke that. He, ha- he asked for that cup to be passed from him. That sacrifice is already being made. Paul can't make that sacrifice. We can't make that sacrifice. We can only love others as Christ has loved us. And just remember, the true joy, the filling of that people's space comes when we humbly serve other people. So we're going to pray. We're going to sing some more. Thank you all for listening. It's been a joy to talk with you. Lord, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for the model of salvation. I can't thank you enough for what you did on the cross. Um, help us to, to have that humble heart. Help us to have the desire to see those, to hear those people in our lives that you are calling us to just love and minister to. Help us to keep our feet clean so that there's nothing in between us and our service to other people. Help us to love as you have loved us. Help us to stay humble in our desire to love other people. In your name we pray. Amen.